0: Let's get into the message. Um, we are back at it tonight, back in Hebrews chapter 11, series called By Faith. And we really only have a couple more weeks of this series. You know, we're going to hit up Moses this week and next. And then, you know, we've got this thing called Easter where we're going to be doing Christ's final hours together and talking about the cross and the Via Dolorosa, like the, the journey to the cross. And then after that, we got like one final message that wraps up Hebrews 11. Um, and so we really only just got a little bit longer to go. Um, so tonight we're, we're diving back into that series and we're getting back into the story of Moses. And we're going to be diving into the second point of what we see in Moses tonight. And, last, and next week we will like wrap up the rest of it. Um, last week started out a little bit slow, right? We had one point. One point for the whole thing, which is sort of like tonight, but we got some sub points tonight, so it'll to move a little bit different. Um, we had one point, and that point showed us that by faith, Moses' parents were given the ability to defend what is good and godly. Right. That, so that was the first point on the screen. Just a, a recap of what we did last week is that faith defends good and godly things. And Moses' parents saw that Moses was beautiful in the sight of God, and they acted upon that to defend him. You can see that in verse 23. Let's get our eyes back in the text tonight. 11.23 says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. We talked about what that meant last week, and, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So they defended good and godly things. Good and godly things like a precious baby boy they were given. Good and godly things like the sanctity of life. We see his parents set that example. And something we just started to dive into last week is that we see Moses set that example as well. He follows in his parents' footsteps when it comes to defending good and godly things. Look at verse 24 there. Verse 24 says, By faith... Moses, now, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So the Israelites were the people of God, right? They were God's chosen race. They were his covenant people, meaning his promised people, the people he was in relationship with. But in that time in the history of the Israelites, they, they weren't so special, right? They didn't feel so special because they were in a moment where they were the lowest of the low in society, right? The, the Israelites were slaves, forced to do manual labor. They had no wealth. They had no power. They had no social status at all when it came to being in Egypt. That's the, the Hebrew people, but that's completely unlike the pharaoh. The Pharaoh and his household, like we're talking power and status, the Pharaoh himself was literally thought to be a God incarnate. Like the man that ruled as Pharaoh was the sun god in the midst of Egypt. And he was blessed beyond measure. And so was his household. And his household would include his daughter, the daughter who is raising Moses. That's what we see there, but we see that Moses didn't take on the identity of being her son. If Moses had taken on the identity of Pharaoh's grandson, that's what it would have made him, right? He would have been Pharaoh's grandson. If he had been taken on that identity and accepted it, he would have been granted wealth. He would have been granted power. He would have been granted status, and these things in his life that certainly like, would have been tempting. Right? If someone just wants to hand power and wealth and status to you on a silver platter, you got to admit, for many of us, there would be at least a moment's hesitation and be like, all right, well, maybe, maybe I can, maybe, maybe I can do that. Maybe, maybe I'll take that. Like there'd be that moment that we would be tempted. And Moses certainly could have been too. But what does it say? It says in the text, by Faith. So, faith being the agent that is causing this to happen, by faith, when he was grown up, he refused. He refused that status. He refused that power. He refused that wealth. He maintained his integrity as a Hebrew, maintained his integrity as one of God's chosen people, as part of God's chosen race. By faith, Moses stood up and defended the good and godly thing that he belonged to, and that good and godly thing he belonged to was the covenant people of Israel, God's chosen ones. But well, that's not all that this passage is going to teach us about Moses' faith. In fact, what we see here as well in the second part is that faith fuels the fight against sin. That's our second main point tonight: faith fuels the fight against sin. Now let me show you where I get that in this passage. Let's look back at it, verses 25 and 26. So Moses refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth Than the treasures of heaven, for he was looking to the reward. So, the first thing we see in verse 25 and 26 is is that faith, which is this ongoing theme in Hebrews, right? It's why we're calling this series by faith, faith caused Moses to choose to be mistreated, right? He caused him to choose to be mistreated rather than to enjoy sin. His faith fueled the fight against sin. Sin now, now, the sin here that we're talking about, it gets pretty obvious when we talk about some of the previous things in, in, when we're talking about Pharaoh, right? We just mentioned Pharaoh, power, wealth, status. We can see how these things could easily lead to sin in Moses' life. The sin of, of greed. The sin of domination. But certainly the sin of paganism. To accept that he was an Egyptian, to accept that he belonged to the Pharaoh's household, would have been to accept that the Pharaoh was a god, to accept the religion of the Egyptians, accept the worship of another god over the only true living God, Yahweh. That would have been a sin that he would have been giving into. And the pleasures of those sins would have been extremely tempting to a man in Moses' position. I mean, think about the things he was avoiding, right? He was avoiding slavery. He would have had money. He would have had power. He would have had freedom to come and go as he pleases, freedom to do as he pleases. And especially when you think on a daily basis, Moses was seeing the alternative, right? He's being raised in the household of Pharaoh, and daily he's able to look out upon his people in slavery, able to look out upon his people that are being beaten down. He sees what they go through. He sees what's happening to them, all the while being raised by Pharaoh's household. And you can imagine, he knew exactly what he was getting himself into when he refused to belong to the household of Pharaoh. So faith clearly fueled that fight for him. Again, again, again. This happened last week too. All right, faith clearly fueled him to fight that sin and that's what we see about our own faith. The faith given to us by God empowers us to fight sin, to work through sanctification, something we've talked a lot about in this series. But the question is, how exactly does it do that? Like, how does our faith help us to Fight sin. How does, it, how does it fuel our fight against it? We see two things. Two things in this, in this scripture. And the first one is this. Faith fuels the fight against sin by changing our perspective. It does it by changing our perspective. Look back at verse 26 there. The author continues this idea of Moses fighting the pleasures of sin by saying he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So Moses' faith gave him a completely different perspective. That is, it gave him a different way to view the world and to view what was valuable in life. Because it says that he viewed the reproach of Christ as greater wealth. Like he saw a different kind of wealth in the world. Something that is not visible to the eye. And it's his faith that changed that perspective. So before we go any further, we need, we need to talk about this this one sentence there, right? Reproach of Christ. Like, what, what is that? What is it when it says reproach of Christ? And, and how, does, how does Christ relate to Moses? Especially considering they lived over 1,000 years apart. It's estimated they probably lived about 1,500 years apart from each other. Moses existed well over 1,000 years before Christ entered the world. So Moses didn't even know who Jesus was. So how is it that Moses could consider the reproach of Christ to be a great wealth? That's what we need to understand tonight. And I don't know about you, but the, the phrase seems a little confusing to me, right? Like right off the bat, how many of you, like as we're reading this, how many of you are reading out of the ESV? I'm just, I just want to get an idea here. All right. good chunk. Anybody have like CSB or NIV? Anybody just confused about what I'm saying? So there's different Bible translations. They all have little fancy letters. Um, And, you know, our church preaches out the ESV. But so I naturally, especially when I'm going to preach, right? Like I open the ESV because that's what I'm going to preach out of. I try to spend most of my time in the ESV because that's what our church teaches out of. So like I'm reading this and this phrase is confusing to me. The reproach of Christ because it sounds like Moses considered being disciplined by Christ as like a greater wealth than the desire to sin. I mean, does anyone else feel that way when you hear the term reproach of Christ? Because when I hear reproach of someone, it sounds like discipline or scolding. Like if you have a, a boss at your work or, or a professor and they call you into a meeting and they don't tell you why. You guys, even have been in those or a friend maybe if they text you. But I'm trying to put, you know, someone above you in this, right? Like your boss, or your professor calls you into a meeting like, hey, meet me at 3 o'clock. And they give you no information why How many of you would be a little nervous about that? Yeah. One of the reasons that you are nervous about that for many of you is because you are afraid of their reproach. You are afraid of their scornful look. You are afraid of the discipline they might deal out to. You're afraid that they might have something wrong with you and they might air that out to you. And we immediately begin just like introspectively trying to figure out, all right, what did I say? What did I do wrong? Did I write something in a paper? Did someone say something about me? Like we immediately give in to a lot of those things. And so when I hear reproach of Christ, that's my immediate thought. But... That may not be the most accurate translation. Now, if you were reading the passages that way, honestly, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be unbiblical. It wouldn't be unbiblical for you to consider that someone would be motivated to pursue the things of God. That's what Moses is doing, right? If he's choosing the reproach of Christ over the sins and, and pleasures of the world, he's choosing the things of God over the things of the world. And it would not be unbiblical to say that a motivation in choosing the things of God is that God would discipline you if you didn't. Like There is an aspect of fear of the Lord that is real. There is an aspect that God does discipline his children if you belong to him. So it's not unbiblical, this thought, that that there's motivation behind not wanting to have the reproach of God upon you, the discipline of God upon you. But for this instance, it may not be the most accurate translation of the passage. Because the words here in Greek really take on the idea, why? You know, it's when I get going, right? Like I really start, like, getting the rhythm, and then mic's like, yeah, I got you, bro. Don't worry. I'll knock you. I'll humble you a little bit. It's good. Uh, the words here in Greek really take on the idea that Moses is con- considering the reproach for the sake of Christ. And if you have, like, the CSB, the NIV, like, it's actually going to say that. Um, if you look at verse 26 there, Moses considered the reproach that comes from living for Christ. And we'll get to the Christ part in a minute. But he considered... The reproach that comes from living for Christ to be greater than the treasures of Egypt. Like, to to receive that reproach was more wealth than the wealth that all of Egypt and its sins had to offer. And that right there, that's really where we begin to understand this perspective change, right? Because what it's really saying is that to Moses, discipline, punishment, slavery exile, like all these things that would be promised to him for refusing Pharaoh, those, seems, those things seemed like a great wealth to him. And I think we can all agree that's not normal. Right? Like that's, that's not default. Most of us don't treasure... That, like in our good, like Christianese days, when we're trying to be like really good Christians and we want to say all the right things, we'll say that we treasure like being persecuted for Christ, that we treasure those things over the things of the world. But if we were to like really look at our day to day lives, that would not be so true. If we examine ourselves, there's plenty of of instances in our relationships and our lives that we can see it's not default. For us to treasure the things of God over the things of the world. But it should be. Actually, Paul says it in, in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Meaning, the message of the cross and all things that come with accepting the cross and taking your cross and following after Jesus, like all those things, they seem foolish to the world they're folly they mean nothing to the world but to us it says it is the power of god so, I mean, literally there, Paul says, like, yes, you should have a different perspective. That, like, should change in you because of faith. And Moses is, like, the f- fantastic example of how this plays out. So now we understand that Moses has this change of perspective, right? I think I've driven that home enough. He's got this change of perspective because of his faith. We understand that he treasured being reproached because of Christ over treasuring the pleasures of Egypt. But there's still this sort of confusing thing, right, that, that Moses didn't know Christ, he didn't know Jesus. So why does the author choose to say, like we don't see that. You can't open the Old Testament and see the words, Moses treasured the reproach of Christ. This is something, this is something that the author of Hebrews is putting into the story, right? The Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write this about Moses. So why does it say <laughs> that he treasured the reproach of Christ? instead of just saying, he treasured being reproached. If that's what it means, why didn't it just say he treasures being reproached? Here's why. Because the author of Hebrews wants to make it very clear to us that when we suffer for God's sake, when we suffer for pursuing the things of God over the things of the earth, can you just bring me a handheld, Calvin? I'd (laughs) I'd really appreciate that. I'll wait though I don't (laughs) you know really the reason we have a microphone anyway is just to capture the recording so I guess I really I could just shout at you guys if you wanted but all right so that's there's still that confusing thing right why didn't it choose to be being reproached, and the author of Hebrews makes it clear that when we suffer for God's sake, when we suffer for pursuing the things of God over the things of the earth, he's making it clear that when you choose to do that, you are following after Christ. You are following after your Savior. And that's the real perspective change that we need to have. Like, we need to have the perspective that when we choose the things of God instead of choosing the things of sin that seem so satisfying, the things of sin that seem so tempting, that we are following after Jesus himself the one who's the author, and the one who is the perfecter of our faith. Like, we strive to have the perspective of the disciples in the book of Acts, like right after Christ has ascended. So, you know, just quick recap. The book of Acts happens right after Jesus' death, resurrection, here for 40 days. and the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus ascends. right, he ascends, and it's like, it's all up to you guys now. You're on your own. So the disciples are like, on their own for a little bit and then the Holy Spirit comes like actually we're not alone Jesus is in us and we need to go tell the world about him so then they go out and they tell the world about Jesus and while they're telling the world about Jesus what happens they get persecuted right they get beaten down for it and in Acts chapter 5 there is a group of them that are being beaten by the council and in Acts 5.41, after they're done getting beat, it says, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer the reproach of Christ. Meaning the reproach that comes from following Christ. They counted it joy that they got to follow after Christ, that they got to suffer the same treatment that Jesus did, like their perspective had changed. That suffering endurance became the thing that they valued, the thing that they honored, the thing that they loved, because it meant following after Christ rather than following after safety, following after riches, Following after whatever the world has to offer. And faith is what gives us that perspective. That's that's what the author is saying that Moses was doing here. He was treasuring, following after God. He didn't know Christ specifically yet. But following after God and following his will and willing to take on the reproach that comes from it is following after Christ because Christ is our ultimate example. Our faith fuels the fight against our sin by changing our perspective. And if you have trouble, if you struggle with having that perspective, I want you to come talk to me afterwards. I want you to talk to one of our leaders. I'd love to help you, give you some practicals on how you can go about changing that perspective. But that's not the only way that our faith fuels our fight against sin. Here's the the second point for the night. It also does it by giving us hope. Our faith fuels the fight against sin by giving us hope. And you can see that there right at the end of verse 26. I'll read all of verse 26 again. It says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So what gave Moses the motivation? What helped him endure when it came to having a changed perspective? Like what things did his faith give him in his life, faith gave Moses hope. At the very end there, right? For he was looking to the reward. He had hope. And that's the definition of our of faith, right? We've been hitting it every single week. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Like, faith is the conviction of things not seen, and it's the assurance of what? The Assurance of things hoped for. Moses had hope. He had insur- assurance, and that caused him to persevere. Like, it certainly was, for Moses there, a-, a reward. It says it was. Like, he sought reproach rather than the world because he was looking to a reward. But my question is, what was that reward? Like, for Moses, what was the reward? Well, one of the beautiful things about the author of Hebrews, and you'll find this out next week, is that as he's talking about Moses, he's not talking about, like, just one instance. He's talking about, like, Moses, like, as a, as a person. And so we can see like this went all throughout Moses' life. Like when he was younger, it would have been like the reward to belonging to God's chosen people, which is why he forsook like belonging to Pharaoh and his family. Let's talk about the plagues though, right? Like most people know about the plagues that happened in Egypt. Like the reward in that moment as Egypt is being destroyed and marred by these plagues is that the reward would have been the freedom of God's people from slavery. Like, he was looking towards that reward. And then they, they cross the Red Sea, right? They go into the desert, and they're looking towards what? They're looking towards the promised land. Moses persevered, and he endured because he was looking towards the reward. And what are all three of these things? All three, like the, the three instances I gave, like God's chosen people, God's promised salvation, God's promised land, they're all things that God has promised to him and his people. The reward was seeing God fulfill his promise. We can't say exactly which reward that that, the author of Hebrews is talking about here, but either way, we know that the posture of Moses' heart was to endure suffering. The posture of Moses' heart was to deny the sinful pleasures of the world and seek the reward that God has promised, whether it be his people, his freedom, his land. Like, that is what he looked for, and Moses isn't the only example. And, And the whole point of this series is to look at the Old Testament saints and how they cause us to turn our eyes to Christ and to see how their faith should inform our own faith. And this is one of the moments. Like, as we're reaching the end of this series, this is one of the moments where the author is beginning to drive it home. And he's starting to really show us what it means for Christ to be our example when it comes to faith, because he is the better example than all of these. This is one of those moments that we see the author bring home the idea of faith and reward. And we see it in Hebrews chapter 12. You know the verses by now. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're going to look at it together, but we're going to see something new in it tonight. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, who for the joy set before him Jesus had a reward that he was looking towards Jesus had a reward that caused him to persevere like the Jesus the one who is perfecting your faith had something that caused him to press on and what was it it was joy like the joy in saving those who would believe, the joy in getting to redeem God's people, the joy in being seated at the right hand of the Father, like joy was the reward of Jesus. And that reward helped him endure against sin. Like if, like if you're reading Hebrews along with us this semester, You'll have seen the parts in Hebrews where it says that Jesus is the great high priest and because of that, like that's a good thing because he went through everything we went through. He went through every temptation that we've gone through. He's gone through all that and he conquered it and he's our high priest representing us to God and that's a great thing because it lets us know that he endured against all those sins. He pressed on, not giving into them and he pressed on because of the joy that was set before him. But on top of that, he also pressed on and the sins of the world that were being put upon him. Like Jesus endured the sins that we commit now in the future and in the past. Like every stripe on his back, every splinter of wood, every nail, every thorn in the crown is a sin that has been cast upon him by somebody else. And even that, even with having the sin of the world cast upon him, he still pressed on in endurance for the joy that was set before him. Jesus's faith fueled that fight against sin. Both the temptations he faced as a man and the fight against our own sin cast upon him. Our faith helps fuel the fight against sin by giving us hope. So as we're thinking about these things, you know, I love to give you guys some practicals, right? I love to give you things that make the word bear on your soul now, rather than just learning. Like, it'd be easy to just walk away with a couple bullet points. Like, this is what faith does. Yeah, like, I learned these two things. These are factual things. I can point to the scripture where they are, but they may not necessarily be things that you put on your life right now so here's what we're going to do this isn't like an altar call or anything right not an invitation I'm going to have Calvin put on some music. It's not because it's spiritual, right? It's not like a spiritual aspect of playing some, like, slow music. Here's, here's the practical reason. It's so you're not distracted by the people breathing heavily next to you or the coughing or the baby in the background or all those little things. Like, it's so you can just focus, right? Music can help us focus a lot of times. So there's going to be some music playing in the background. It's not the Holy Spirit, right? It's Calvin on Spotify there, just bringing it up. So, so but here's what I want to do tonight. I want to give you a few moments of application before we head into the rest. And what we're going to do is I'm just going to encourage you to close your eyes. I'm going to encourage you to close your eyes just so you can really focus on what's going on in these questions. And I'm just going to lead you through some questions. That's it. I'm just going to ask you questions to identify what and how the word bears on your life tonight. So we're thinking about faith. We're we're thinking about how it causes us to endure and fight against sin. And I want to just ask you, you're not answering these out loud, right? You're answering them to yourself. Like, what are the things most tempting you in this world right now? Bring those to your mind. Like, what are the things that cause the most temptation? If, if Moses had to face the pleasures of Egypt, what are the pleasures that you're facing? Whether it's school or work, something here in the Quad Cities, something here in our current culture, Money, sex, security, comfort, power, fame, impact, any of those. Just take a moment. Bring those. Ask the Lord to use the Spirit. Just bring those to your mind. as you're thinking about the the pleasures that you face in life, the sins that you face, start thinking about the ones that are the greatest struggles for you personally. After you identify the ones in your life, like which ones are the ones that, that cause you to seek that wealth and joy over the wealth and joy of knowing Jesus. Identify those. As you've thought about those things, just just set them aside for a moment. We'll come back to them. But I want you to think, what is your reward? Like, what is the joy that you as a Christian are seeking towards? And I'm not talking about physical things. I want to remind you of the gospel. Like, what does the gospel say your reward is? What does it mean for you to belong to heaven and not this world? What does the end of days look like? Bring that to your mind. Let the joy of it just overwhelm you for a minute of all that you get to participate in if you belong to him. All right, now we're gonna put it all together. What does it look like? For you to live as if that joy is the reality and the things that you've identified that you struggle with are not greater than that. Like those personal sins and temptations that you're so quick to give into, what would it look like in your life if they didn't have the wealth that having the reward and joy of Christ is? How would that change how you act? How would it change? Who you're friends with? How would it change what you allow to influence you? How would it change who you choose to talk to and who you reach out to and who you seek? And as you're thinking about those things, this is the last question. Who are you going to share that with? Holiness is not an individual sport. People are brought into Christ, into a body, into a community. So as you're thinking through these things in your life, like who are the other living stones, as Peter calls them, who are the other living stones beside you who you're going to share those things with and you're going to help one another and you're going to pursue one another's sanctification and holiness together? Is it going to be a leader? Is it going to be a friend? Is it going to be a sibling? Identify those people in your lives and make a commitment. I'm going to talk to them about it this week at C Group. This week at the Bible study, this week on the phone, I'm going to shoot a text, I'm going to tell a leader tonight. Make those commitments. Father, I want to thank you for such a great example of faith through Moses. Lord, we know, we know that he was not perfect. We know that he was not flawless. We know that he was with sin. But, Father, thank you that he points us to the one who was perfect, the one who was holy, the one who was without sin. Father, thank you that we can see so clearly all that Christ has done for us. And I pray, Father, that you would allow the the reward and joy we have of knowing Christ and getting to suffer alongside him and getting to follow after him. I pray that you would increase that wealth in us to be a greater joy, than the things of the world. Whether it be the sins we're giving into, whether it be the grief that we're experiencing, whether it be the hopes and desires and dreams that we have, Lord, may they all pale in comparison to Christ. And may we follow after Jesus as he followed after the joy that was set before him, Lord. Lord, use the faith that you give us to fight sin make us look more like your son. Thank you for this time and your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.